0: How wonderful, I love that, that uh, reduced worship team. Not that I don't like the full worship team, I'll get in trouble later for, for saying that, because uh, Michelle loves the full worship team, I love it all, and so does Michelle. Okay, I'll just stop there. All right, uh, man, just what great worship today. Hey, couple of housekeeping things. This was a fun week, so I just wanna say that I have just been so thankful and so impressed Um, just over this whole COVID period of time, um, just how unified and loving and gracious this church family has been. And I I talked to a lot of my friends who are pastors, and and this is just a real grievous situation for them. And uh, I, I have friends who they never masked, they never social distanced, and a bunch of people left their church over it. And then I have other friends who they shut down when when. They, you know, at different times, and they've had people in church wear masks, and a bunch of people left the church over it. And just their, this COVID thing has been so divisive um, in our culture, and it's amazing how even masks um, have transitioned from not a health thing to a political thing. And um, and that is just so tragic. And one of the things I love is that in this church family, we've had people who have very strong opinions on each side, uh, people who felt like we were compromising when we closed down, that we have compromised by wearing masks, and that's not the choice they would have made. There's other people who have struggled that we haven't been strict enough in our standards. And, um, but one of the things that there has really not been a lot of controversy, we have not, like in this church, I just feel like it's been peaceful, and it's not peaceful because people don't care. It's peaceful because people love each other. They love Christ. They love the body of Christ. And they're gracious toward one another. And so I just want to say thank you. And I want to clarify something about the email that we sent out. We sent out something just mentioning that, the, that we made our policy adjustments based on the CDC guidelines. And that's true. But I want to clarify that we weren't saying that the CDC regulates us or said you should tell everybody not to wear masks. We just looked at the medical information that was communicated in that study which basically just says um, vaccinations are effective and that if you've been fully vaccinated um, you you can go back to the way things were before you don't have to social distance you don't have to mask inside or outside and that's not regulatory that's health advice and um, the other thing that was really a key is that it said that if you're vaccinated and you sit next to somebody who has COVID You do not need to um, isolate unless you get symptoms. What does that communicate? That vaccinations are working and they're protecting people. The other thing that was a big factor for us as a church is um, initially there were a lot of people who wanted to get vaccinations, but we're in line for vaccinations. And so there's people who wanted it, couldn't get them. And now, I mean, I was walking around someplace, you know, a week or two ago, and it was just like, you want a vaccination? I mean, they're everywhere, they're readily available. And, and having said that, there are people who, for whatever reason, they have health reasons that stop them from being able to get vaccinated, and they're concerned about COVID things. And that is why as a church family, um, we're gracious to one another and, and I've just seen that work its way out. But we wanna make sure that wherever people are, that they are welcome, that they are encouraged. And if you don't wanna wear a mask, that is, that is between you and the Lord, how you work that out. And if you need to wear a mask, want to wear a mask, want to socially distance, we've spread our chairs out. We're making it so it's really comfortable and easy for people. We have you all know, the chairs all on the sides, and so we want to make sure that, just that we continue to represent unity in the body of Christ and love for people and that we never make life about masks or those kinds of things. We're about the gospel. We are about encouraging each other. And that doesn't mean that we all see everything the same way. It just means we have priorities. So I just want to say it's so encouraging Um, Just how our church family has responded to that. And uh, anyway, so I just love that. And the other thing, too, I just want everybody to know, we have made no decisions on any of these things because we felt pressure. Um, First of all, people have expressed their opinions, but nobody has been putting pressure on us. And uh, we just, we weigh things as leaders. We pray about it. We make the best decisions we can. And when you guys agree with our decisions, um, you guys can just be thankful for your amazingly wise leaders. And uh, when you disagree with our decisions, you can be encouraged by the power of prayer. And you could just say, God, these people, they're making the wrong decision, but protect them from their foolishness. And uh, so, so you can either think we're wonderful or not, but the main thing is we, we praise the Lord and we trust the Lord anyway, right? And, uh, and we, we all know we need that. So there's one other thing too that came up this week that was very <laughs> encouraging. So last week, I said Judas was not at the Lord's Supper. And this discussion came up in some life groups, multiple life groups. Well, where does it say that in the Bible? And I just love that. And uh, I'll tell you why I love it. Uh, that Paul says to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, he says to them, he compliments them on how they respond to, to his preaching and his writing as he writes the New Testament because they accepted what God said as the words of God, not as the words of men. So they recognize what has been written in scripture. That is not human opinion, that is God's word. And then after Paul visits the Thessalonians and gives them this huge compliment, he goes to Berea and he says to the Bereans, that they were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were noble-minded, but the Bereans were even more so. Do you know why? Because as Paul's preaching, everything he preaches, they're testing to say, where is that in Scripture? Where is that in Scripture? And it just was such an encouragement to me that we have a church family that doesn't just take the word of their teachers, they say, where is that, is that in Scripture? And so um, I, I want to just... I want to just clarify how I came up with that. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe, and this is why it's actually challenging, and that's a debated thing, whether Judas was at the Lord's Supper, and that's because Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe the Lord's Supper, but they don't specifically describe the exit of Judas. The Gospel of Mark, I'm sorry, John, the Gospel of John describes the exit of Judas, but it does not describe the Lord's Supper. And so you have Judas exits and you have the Lord's Supper and as we take these gospels and we lay them out and we compare them with each other, we figure out okay, how do they fit together? Where is John filling in these details and where should that go? And sometimes it's debatable where something should be in, in John's gospel. and So we just look at all these textual things and we try to match it up. And, so, and I did that, but I will tell you last week, I did not spend an intense amount of time studying that. So when this whole controversy came up, I thought, okay, uh, I just went to my shelf and I grabbed a few of my harmonies of the gospels and, and there's all, all different ones, but I, I, I like to have a harmony, especially of the gospels of people who believe the Bible's inspired and without error and that try to fit it together without violating scripture. So anyway, I checked two or three and they all say that, um, that uh, Judas was not at the Lord's Supper. So anyway, <laughs> I'm like, okay, good. I'm thankful for that encouragement that I didn't mess that up, but then maybe I did. But that's the, that's the main, that, that is the cool thing is that we do appreciate the study of scholars, but even though... We read those books. It's not the scholars. It's not the one who publishes the book. It's not the expert that is the authority. It is God's word. And just the way I can sit down and line up the gospels and try to figure out where they go, so can you. And that's what we do as believers. So this was just a super encouraging week just to to see how our church family functions. And I, I just love that. I love being a part of this church family. Okay, so shall we jump into our passage, which is long? Um, so, uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 26, verse 30 through 59. And I love this passage. And I, I don't know, I suppose I say that all the time. It's because I love every part of the Bible that I'm studying. I just love it. But one of the things in this passage that is so encouraging is we just see like in God's salvation plan, like like this passage is about more than just the details of what happens from here to here from here to there. This 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 passage is about more than just what we learn about relationships between people. Big picture. Mankind needed a savior and God provided a savior. And so the big picture in all this is that Jesus is the savior and he came, to, he came to die for the sins of mankind. And that's something that in this passage is so emphasized that there was no other way of salvation and that salvation and the death of Jesus was a necessity. Because none of us can survive without what Jesus did on the cross, and it makes him our object of faith. But one of the things that is so cool is that in the midst of all that, there is so much to learn about who we are and how we should respond to Jesus, who Jesus is, and how he cares for us. And so in these other minor lessons, we, we never want to miss the big picture, but we want to make sure that we are learning these little lessons too. And so the three things this morning that we're really going to see is that human beings are weak. You and I are weak. The disciples are weak. And that is such an important, powerful lesson for us to learn. Our salvation Our standing before God is never based on our strength, our obedience, what we can do. We don't merit salvation. And actually, even our faithfulness is a gift from God. And uh, so in the midst of this human weakness, the other thing that we see is the incredible power of Jesus, that he came, that he lived a human life that he suffered, that he struggled, that he had intense personal challenges. He faced everything that you and I face, but much more difficult than you and I will ever face. And in the midst of that, Jesus relied on his heavenly father the way you and I should rely on our heavenly father. And Jesus, in the midst of his greatest personal trial was thinking about the needs of the people around him. I mean, think about that. Have you ever been going through a really hard time and you just think, nobody's taking care of me, nobody's considering me, what about me? But Jesus, in his greatest hour of trial, is thinking about and loving and caring for other people. And I think that the end of this passage just really emphasizes the necessity of what Jesus did. He is the only way, and everybody desperately needs Jesus. And, you know, these theological truths, they impact how we respond about political things, COVID, whatever, because we understand what God has put us here for, how God intends us to encourage each other, including all of our strengths and our weaknesses. And so this is about Christ. It is about salvation but it has practical ramifications in every area of our life. Okay, let's jump in here. And, and, and the title this morning is Abandoned by All but Never Alone. And this is one of the things that we see in Jesus' life is he was abandoned by everybody, but he was never alone. And what I want to encourage you is you may face times in your life that you feel abandoned, that you feel like the people that you need to be there for you are not there for you. And I want you to know that Jesus is always there for you. If you're abandoned by all, You are never alone. Look what Jesus says here, specifically talking about this period of time in his life. John 16, 32, behold the hour is coming, indeed it has come. By the way, this statement is made between the time that Jesus celebrates the Lord's Supper and goes into the garden. So Jesus says this about this passage in the middle of this passage. Behold, the hour is coming and indeed has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone for the Father is with me. You know, that's powerful. And there are many people that experience that and you and I will experience that at times in our life. Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. So let's jump into this. Let's consider the weakness of mankind. And uh, this is something you and I can embrace because I just want you to know you're weak. And the biggest problem you will ever face in your life is when you think you're not weak. And that's one of the things that we'll see. Let's look at this passage. Matthew twenty six thirty, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter gets all the attention, but I want to finish reading that verse. And all the disciples said the same. Like we focus on Peter, but it wasn't just Peter. It was all the disciples. And one of the things that I want to just encourage us In this passage, I want to just fill in a couple details of what's happening right at the beginning of this that John records that are not in the other Gospels. In fact, if you've probably read John and you will remember these things that Jesus says between John chapter 14 and John chapter 17, but we don't often have in our mind that this is when Jesus said those things. And so, um, uh, Psalm chapter 1, verse 6, the end of that amazing passage, it says this. It says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Throughout this whole passage, we see Jesus' foreknowledge. He knows what's going to happen. Not only does he know what's going to happen, but he He said what was going to happen. Like there's the fulfillment of prophecy where God said, this is what I'm going to bring about. So this is God knowing, but it's more than knowing. Knowing is not just intellectual. Knowing communicates God's personal care. In the way Psalm 6 is talking about, Psalm 1-6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's, That's communicating that God is caring for you along your way. That's one of the things that we see here. But John chapter 14, John chapter 14 is where Jesus says in verse 1 through 3, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself. Remember that passage? This is when Jesus says that. Do you remember the promise of the Holy Spirit? John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit where he says, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and this Comforter is gonna come and it's actually better for you that I leave because you'll have the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is in his greatest hour. He's explaining these things to the disciples and he's comforting them. I'm leaving, but I'm coming back for you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to care for you while you're here. Jesus is, he knows what they're about to go through, and he's telling them things to encourage them and to help them, and it's not all just the prophecy of their failure. It's a communication of his love for them, and one of the things that I want us to remember is that God loves us. God has given us the Holy Spirit. God knows the challenges that we will face, And these are amazing passages as we go through the struggles of life that we can rely on and trust that God cares for us and he is with us. In John chapter 16, um, Jesus says, I'm telling you these things so that you won't fall away. And he tells them, and persecution's coming. So he tells them, you're going to struggle, you're going to have difficulty, but I just want you to know, I love you, I care for you, I hold this all in my hands. You know, you and I at some point in our life are going to get devastating news, we're going to find out that there's something incredibly tragic that's wrong. Our culture could have this huge swing, whereas believers, we are severely persecuted. And for us to face those things, to face those personal trials and feel like, God, where are you? That is not how we should respond. Jesus promises that those kinds of things will happen. Uh, People get sick. People die. That that is not a violation of what God's promised. That's part of what God has promised. But God has promised that he will be with us in and through those challenges. Okay. That's the stuff that wasn't in Matthew. Let's look at some of the stuff that was in Matthew. You know, it says this, uh, the first thing it says is that right after Jesus is done, it says they sung a hymn. They sung a hymn. Hey Jonathan, this is this section's for you. <laughs> it's for all of us. How important it is that we have Jonathan, that we have the worship team and that we sing. There are some people I know that they're like, "Oh man, I'm all for a sermon, I don't need any singing." Um, Jesus sang. Like there's this huge trial. He's teaching. He's caring. But they get together and they sit down and they sing at this critical time. They don't skip singing and they don't skip prayer. But that's later. They pray and they sing. And singing is an incredibly, it's a necessity in our life to show up here to sit to sing. To, th- to think, to worship, that is not a less important part of the service. And, and that's why we always like it when people work hard to be here and to be in the room when we're starting. And, and at the same time, we love you and we realize things happen in life. And so if you show up late, don't ever want you to stay home going, oh, man, we're late. I don't want to, you know, don't ever think like that. We're glad that you showed up any time you show up, on time, late, any of that. But in our hearts, we ought to prioritize being here for the things that are critical. Look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Like that's hearing the word. But then it goes on and it says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness In your hearts to the Lord. This is a priority that's given in Scripture, and it's something that Jesus did on this night. The other thing that we're going to see here is that Jesus restores his disciples. He knows he cares for them and he restores. Look at verse 31, this is the promise of restoration. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus is encouraging and talking to them and saying, this is going to happen. You're all going to be scattered, but I'm coming back. I'll see you. So this is, um, Jesus uh, was in the upper room and he walks over to Gethsemane. This is where um, they, this, this all takes place. And uh, here's a picture, by the way, of the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where these things happen. And one of the things that's really cool is that they have really old olive trees. That olive tree dates back probably to the time of Christ. So incredible that you could go there and look at a tree that Jesus and the disciples might have touched or walked next to. Incredible. And he tells them that after all this happens, I'm gonna go before you to to Galilee. So they're down in Jerusalem and it's about two days walk up to the Sea of Galilee, which is where all the disciples are gonna defect. They're all gonna go home and they're gonna go back to what they were doing. And so Jesus is just telling them that They're gonna fail, and Jesus is gonna say that he is going to restore them. I wanna take just a minute, and in this this first section, um, one of the things that stands out, one of the lessons that we learn in this is the pride and arrogance of Peter and the disciples. And, And what God tells us, pride is destructive. And it's something that we see everywhere. It's something that as believers, we need to carefully guard against. You know, it's amazing that Peter, think about this. Peter is pridefully overconfident. And it's not just Peter, it's all the disciples. Um, What we don't realize in Matthew is there's an earlier discussion that happens that we see in the Gospel of John. And this is what it says in John chapter 13 verse 36 it says Simon Peter said to him Lord where are you going and Jesus answered him where I am going you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterwards in other words you're still going to (laughs) live when you die you can follow me but right now I still have life planned for you and Peter says Lord why can I not follow you now I will lay down my life for you and Jesus answered will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Earlier in the night, Jesus has told Peter, you're gonna deny me, and what's Peter's response? No, I'll die for you. And then the next time Jesus says it, Peter says, no, I, I will not deny you. Even if everybody else falls away, I will not fall away. So what's Peter doing? He's saying, I'm better than the rest of them. The other thing we find out in John, excuse me, is that they were all arguing about who would be the greatest. And so you have this other thing factoring in there with the disciples going, Jesus, Peter saying he won't fall away even if we fall away. Oh, that's not true. We're not falling away either. Like they're all like proclaiming their strength. What pridefulness that Jesus says something and they deny it. Um. Proverbs 16:18 says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. We need to guard against pride. Recognizing our weakness is important. 1 Corinthians 10:12 says let anyone who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Your weakest moment is when you think you're strong. You know, think about the pride. I can do it. Jesus, you've said I can't, but you're wrong. I can do it. I'm better than other people. I'm better than the rest of these people. No, they all fail, but I don't fail. And here's the worst thing He's saying, Jesus, I'm right (coughs) and you're wrong. Like, could you imagine that? I'm right and you're wrong. Have you ever had a debate with one of your kids? And you'll say, Don't do this, that's a bad decision. No, it isn't, it's a good decision. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's like you get into those debates and you're just like, Are you kidding me? Well, this is Peter arguing with Jesus over and over and over, saying, I'm right and you're wrong. That that is just incredible pridefulness. You know how we believe how we live as believers. We do have confidence and we do have strength, but it is not in ourselves. It is in God himself. Jude says this in Jude one twenty four. now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You know, one of the things that the Bible talks about is that true believers are faithful to the end. True believers last. They don't defect. They don't Join a different religion. True believers are faithful to the end. That's one of the things it says in 1 John. They went out from us so that it would be known that they were never of us. There are famous preachers who have been widely known, who have, who have done all kinds of things, been very respected, who at some point defect, turn away from Christianity, and, and they, def- they reject Christ. They reject salvation. That's a demonstration of a person who never knew the Lord. True believers remain faithful to the end, but we don't remain faithful to the end because of us. It's because of God's strength. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and forever. Well, there's a lot of personal application to that. Humility, not judging other people, not feeling like we're better than other people, Uh, being gracious and realizing if they're wrong, I might be wrong too. And and just having that humility that that we go through life with. Here's the second thing that we're gonna see is while we're weak and we need to guard against pride, Jesus is strong. Look at verse 36, then Jesus went with them, thank you, thank you Cindy. By the way, when they said to say hi to people, she said hi to the whole church, (laughs) not just who was next to her, and also thanks for the water. I knew somebody would notice I was having trouble. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. Um, so Jesus takes his disciples this is another area in the Garden of Gethsemane and he kind of walks off into an area possibly like this hey we, this is the Garden of Gethsemane this may be the spot, we don't know and he just goes off and he actually lays on the ground and he starts to pray Now I think about how strong Jesus is he is one of the members of the Trinity and, and he faces this trouble and he prays How arrogant is it for us in our life not to diligently pray about everything? Jesus prayed all the time, and yet so much so often we go through life without praying. Prayer is powerful. And so Jesus goes and he, he, he prays and he asks his disciples, Peter, James, and John. We get James and John. Those are the sons of Zebedee. We get that from one of the other gospels. But it was Peter, James, and John. And he says, come with me. He wants his disciples with him. He feels like you guys are you're my people and I love you and I need you with me. Like Jesus from a human level is feeling like he needs people with him that will, that will support him. You ever feel like that in your life? Like, I can't go through this. This is an incredible trial. I want the people who love me to be with me. And what we're going to find out for Jesus is he desired that. He wanted that. But they failed him. And Jesus was strong because he prayed. He was strong because he was perfect. He was strong because he was God. But Jesus prays. And when you think about the intensity of what's happening in Jesus' life right now, he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus is saying, I am so overwhelmed with sorrow. If you could die of sorrow, I would die. Like that's how intense it is. I want you to know there's a lot of people who struggle with intense depression, intense discouragement, intense anxiety where they just feel like I can't take it. And I just want you to know that that if you if you face that if anybody at any time in your life faces that I want you to know Jesus has felt the intensity of the things that we go through but he's experienced it beyond what we go through. And we're gonna find out later in this passage that Jesus knows how you feel, and Jesus cares about you. And when you're in those crisis moments, Jesus is the one to whom you should turn. And so he's praying. He lived this real human life. He was so intensely sorrowful. And what Luke tells us is that God sent an angel to minister to him. Jesus right now is praying, and he is so full of anxiety that just drops of sweat are dropping off his head like drops of blood. And so that's how intense this is. And so he he understands the intensity that we go through in life. Look at what Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, able to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to come to the aid of those who... He's able to come help those who are being tempted... Jesus knows how you feel, and he's there for you. This is the other thing that we see, is that we will find mercy and grace. Look at this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of the things that I find very interesting is that Jesus is never hard on his disciples. So in a sense, you can just know Jesus loves me and Jesus knows how I feel. But the difference between you and Jesus is Jesus never blew it, and you do, right? It's like, yeah, Um, I was feeling this intense intense anxiety, but then I did something I shouldn't have done, or I'm feeling this intense anxiety. I'm going through this incredible trial because I disobeyed Jesus along the way in my life. He told me how to live. I didn't do it, and now I'm suffering. And, And the promise is that Jesus knows how you feel, but also he is merciful to you. He knows why you failed. He knows what you were feeling. He knows your weakness. And He's able to give mercy. That's not the punishment for things you deserve. And grace. That's help that you don't deserve. Jesus doesn't punish us though we deserve it, and He pours out mer- grace and gives us the strength we need. And and you just like think about. What's going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane? These, these disciples that are arguing with Jesus. Like, you could just see Jesus, like, have you ever been frustrated with your kids or somebody else? Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. And, it's kind of, and then when it happens, don't you want to just go, see, you're wrong. And you don't see Jesus, like, having joy or any of that stuff or saying, okay, well, then I'm just going to let you guys suffer. You're going to tell me you're not going to fail? Well, we'll let you see you fail. You see Jesus' love and protection and care for his disciples, and that's Jesus in our life. When you look at this, look at verse 40. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He's gracious to Peter. It's like in your heart you want to obey, but you can't. The Bible tells us that they were sleeping out of sorrow and they were tired. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting and fallen asleep? No? <laughs> some of you saying no. <laughs> I could tell you. I, <laughs> I've seen some people um, fall asleep in prayer meetings. What the worst part is is when you start to snore. You're sitting around a room with people and all of a sudden, <laughs> I've seen that. And what I think is most funny is a lot of times the people snoring don't know they're snoring, so they wonder why everybody's laughing later. Hey, we're laughing with you, not at you. We, we know that that could happen to any of us. Peter goes to sleep, and, and Jesus is saying, Peter, you should have a sense of, of urgency and pray for yourself. Satan's going to be going after you. And it says in verse 42, again, for the second time he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. You know, I want you to know that, that Jesus is asking for this cup. You know, um, I liked Mel Gibson's movie, um, you know, about the passion of the Christ kind of enjoy I like I like watching those kind of movies because it just helps me envision like what really happened. But I want to tell you something. Mel Gibson really blew he blew that a few things in that movie. And one of the things that he blew in that movie is that he emphasizes all the physical things that happened to Jesus. I'm not saying those things weren't significant, but Jesus said the cup, if this cup can pass He was stressed out about being separated from God, isolated from God, bearing God's wrath. The spiritual thing that happened when Jesus was on the cross of paying the price of man's sin, that's what was on Jesus' mind. Not that he was gonna get beaten and nailed to a cross and a crown of thorns. And I'm not saying those things weren't significant. Um, The other thing that I think is completely different separate from Scripture, is when you watch that, that movie, Jesus is really discouraged and down, and then he looks over to his mother Mary. And when he sees Mary, he puffs up and draws his strength from Mary. Um, just so you know, Jesus wasn't drawing his strength from anybody. Everybody was drawing their strength from him. And um, the other thing, this is a just a dumb side note, but the Romans in that movie were a bunch of sissies. And just so you know, the real Romans were not sissies. Um, picture the Romans of the movie Gladiator, not the Romans of that movie. But anyway, aside from that, um, I enjoyed that movie. But it's important for us to just see Jesus' power and his grace and, uh, toward these disciples that are, that are just not, not making it. Look at the third thing that we see. The third thing that we see is we see the power and plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. The power and plan of salvation. Look at verse 45. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise and let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, Judas came and one of the 12, and a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one who I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you've come to do. And then it came, they came up and they laid hands on him. You know, Jesus came to save mankind. And he was betrayed by a disciple, Judas. And when you see this, you see this incredible power. Jesus has been praying, and he's submitted himself to God's will. I just want you to know that there's some people who say there are many roads to heaven. As long as you're sincere, you can find God in this religion, in that religion, in this religion. If there was any other way for salvation to take place, Um, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. The fact that Jesus prays this and then God says, no, go, means that Christianity is the only way and Jesus is the only way. There are not many roads leading to the same place. There is one road, a narrow road that leads to life and every other road is on the wide road. And so Jesus makes it and you see that this peace and this strength that comes from Jesus because he's in God's will, you know, that's God's sovereignty and God's power is what gives us peace. You know, I've heard people say, man, when, when you face a tragedy, when you face a difficulty, don't tell people God's sovereign. Uh, God cares for you. God has a good plan in this. And, and I get that there's a, there is a A religious platitude way to say that to people. And I'm not just recommending that we run around and every time somebody faces a great tragedy that we say to them, oh, God has a plan in this. This is good for you. I remember when my dad passed away. Um, Hey, we know that, that we're not sorrowful, right? The way other people are sorrowful. When somebody dies, my dad knew the Lord. But I remember he died. His body is still <laughs> sitting in this room, and somebody comes over. Like, he has his body hasn't even been picked up. And we're, our family, we're just going through this difficulty. And this, this lady walks in the house and says, happy time, happy time. No crying. This is a happy time. And, and I wanted to just, like, grab her and run out the door and say, and close the door and say, you stay out here. Um, it, it was a sad time. It was a heartbreaking time, even though there was this sense of joy in it. And I'm not saying that we should be Christians like that, that say things like that to people without sensitivity. But I remember when Julianne was being born, and when she was being born, uh, she came out blue. She was not breathing. They had had to call NICU in there. I thought she was dead, and I think our doctor thought she was dead. And you saw these NICU people just going nuts and working on her. And in that moment of believing that she was dead, The thing that gave me this incredible sense of peace and comfort is I don't understand these things, but God is good and God is sovereign. One of my kids dies in a car accident. The only thing that will bring me peace is that, God, you're good and you're sovereign. When one, somebody in our family gets some news of something devastating, the only thing that brings peace and comfort is, God, life is not out of control, and I don't understand, and I'm confused, and, and I'm, in my, I'm brokenhearted, but you are sovereign and you're good. And we see that that, is, that was Jesus in the garden saying, God, I don't want to face this, but I'm in your will. And you see his strength and his power as he goes through these things. And when Judas comes to betray him, you see that incredible strength. You know, John chapter 4 describes this situation because Peter's going to keep his promise to die for Jesus, right? So let's just read this in John 18. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, "'Whom do you seek?' And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They drew back and fell to the ground. (laughs) Who's in charge here? Is it the crowds with the clubs and the swords and all these people that came to get Jesus? Like, they have him outnumbered. And Peter's standing there, Jesus is standing there with his disciples, and Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus, and Jesus says, yeah, that's me, and they all fall on the ground. Um, Who was in charge? Who had power? And then Jesus says, it goes on, and it says, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus answered, I told you, I'm he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Jesus, in the midst of his trial, his most difficult time, what is he doing? He is taking care of his disciples. I want you to know something. Jesus right now is not going through a hard time. He is not struggling. He is not distracted by any personal difficulty. When he lived on earth... He was going through a personal difficulty, and he still protected his disciples. So one of the things I want you to know, Jesus loves you. He is protecting you. He is caring for you in the midst of whatever you go through. He's not distracted. He is all-powerful. At his weakest moment, he was taking care of people. But it does tell us this, verse 10, then. That is an important word. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So Peter's standing there. They're coming to get Jesus, and they all fall on the ground, and Peter's just like, we got this. And he grabs his sword, and he cuts off an ear. Now, I've heard a lot of people, we don't know what happened here. We don't know why he cut off the ear. I've heard some people say, well, he was a clumsy fisherman, and he was just swinging for the guy's head, and he missed and happened to cut off his ear. But the other thing is that Peter was probably good with a sword. He was a very powerful person. He was a fisherman. Like, he was like, I'm sure, the epitome of physical condition. Like, there was a hard life. And I've heard some people say, no, I, I think he was messing with them and just like cutting off the ear and saying, okay, who's next? And so I don't know actually what happened here, but what we do know is that Jesus said, put your sword away, Peter. This is why I came. And he takes that ear and he puts it back on that man's head and he heals him. And so Jesus is caring for his disciples, and then he allows them to go, and they take him. Give verse 51. We'll read this account in Matthew. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear, and Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all who have who, have, who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legion, legions of angels? How then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour Jesus says to the crowds, you've come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all of this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled and then his disciples left him and fled um that's jesus we're weak he is strong and he came for the purpose of saving us and he saves us in the midst of our trials but ultimately saves us eternally for salvation let me pray lord thank you so much for your word Lord, for the way that you love us, the way that you care for us. God, I pray that you would help us to recognize our weakness, to rely on you. And Lord, to make use of the strength that comes into life through humility. Lord, help us to continue to be loving and gracious to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, that we would pursue things of eternal value, that we would trust you in the midst of our trials, that we would communicate the truth about you to a world that needs a relationship with you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.